Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from a customer experience professional who's done evangelism in a few different places and who's been very intentional about revenue attribution and a tangible return on the work all along the way. He served as chief evangelist at CX Effect. He served as senior director of corporate communications and evangelism at UJET. And he currently serves as founder and principal analyst at Metric Sherpa. Justin Robbins, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Thanks, Ethan. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I loved, uh, first of all, shout out to Janelle Estes for introducing us. So glad we connected. I've enjoyed all our conversations and I'm looking forward to this one in particular because that attribution piece is such, I mean, it, it, it applies in so many contexts, but it especially applies in the context of evangelism. It's really difficult to do. But we're going to start with uh, our common starting spot, which is evangelism. When I say evangelism, what's the most important job or most important role? Like, what what is it about at its essence for you? Yeah, to me, then I've always thought about it. Where where is the stage of the organization at? When I went to CX Effect, the reason we settled on chief evangelist was we had an idea that was really just beginning, and we were trying to understand how do we take it to critical mass. How do we get people to understand what it is, how it how it might provide meaning to them, and then get excited about it and telling others? If I think about where UJet is today, part of what that's about is it's, it's helping catalyze people in in telling UJet's story or the impact that it's having on their business. And so, to me, it's about getting people not just not just excited to to tell a story or to share impact, but really what it is it's it's about finding the the deeper meaning and value that it's created in each of our own lives that i think is the essence of effective evangelism is being able to come from a place of true experience and and having discovered value out of whatever you're doing i love that you evoked uh two words that share some letters in common uh excited and experience uh i i think both of those i mean there's just a richness in both of them this idea that it's a, that it is a to be excited is a human experience it's a sensory experience. It's an emotional experience. It sometimes gets be. It's certainly not purely intellectual at any level. I think you also used the word belief uh, or similar in there. Um, thoughts on the word evangelism in this context, like um, use and abuse. Um, what should it evoke? Like, what does it separate us from, or what does it draw us to? When you talked about uh, use and abuse, one of the one of the common maybe ways that I see it abused is where it's almost become a, a moniker for people who are in sales or business development and they're calling themselves evangelists. And I don't think they understand what they're saying or what they're implying by 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 using that. Um, and that's I'm not assuming ill intention. I think it's just a matter of lack of understanding of how are other people perceiving it, especially somebody who is doing evangelism work, how it's being perceived. When I think about 
what are some of the key elements of uh, successful evangelism and where's where's some of it being drawn from? I think first is, I believe it, it needs to come from a place of experience. If I think about what drew me into this idea of being an evangelist for a, a brand or something, it was people along the way encouraged me and saying, hey, what, what provided meaning and value to me is knowing that you you once were in the same place that I was and that you're interacting and learning from people who are in this, they're having the same experience. So I think shared experience is, is a key part of it. I think the ability to um, see the greater impact of that role and help people connect the dots. When I think a lot of what evangelism work is, it's not just about helping people address the, the the problem that they're feeling right here and now, but seeing the greater impact that 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 they can have in their in their business, within their teams. It's it's kind of art of the possible type of stuff often for me is, hey, it's not just about getting excited about idea, but we're seeing real potential to drive again, deep meaning and impact for people. Very good. I, I'm really excited to get into um, your movement through these evangelist roles and how they came about. But I think, and I'm looking at my notes on one of our conversations recently, it really jumped out at me, this idea of, listen, it, this isn't just about you know building relationships and, and getting people excited. We need a tangible return on this work if it's to be uh, preserved and meaningful within the organization. I, you can start with the layup question, which is why is attribution and ROI so important and or why is it so challenging uh, in this role or in this work? And then maybe give us some ways that you've approached it uh, over the years in terms of, again, assigning some attribution, like how, how do we know that this work is effective and successful so that it can be a valued part of the organization? Yeah. So if I think about the the challenge, it's not just an evangelism challenge, but every single role, if I'm a business leader and I'm trying to justify, I'm I'm wanting to understand how is this contributing to growth or helping us in, in terms of some type of expense or cost saving. And where this mentality shifted for me is, I, I so my background was originally as a trainer. I'd run contact center and customer service teams, became a trainer and was working with a business at the time where the margins on training were were very slim compared to other parts of the business and there were a lot of real questions about like what is the broader impact that this can have and so kind of went on this exploration of of understanding what were the real value drivers for the business and what were ways that I could start to align myself with contribute to and provide value to those individuals uh, in the context of even what I'm doing right now, I'm thinking about it through um, our our sales force that we have today. What are what are the ways that I can help them in their enablement efforts as they're walking alongside customers? What's the value that I can provide again in those experiences, in the learnings that that I've had, and whether that's creating content for them. You know, sometimes it's being able to actually walk them into opportunities based off of relationships that have been built or things like that. But I think it's really clear that. Uh, even, even, I mean, let's think about the environment that we're in right now. And, uh, I think a lot of businesses they're, they're, they're not looking to have fluffy thought leadership stuff out there at the moment, right? They're, they're understanding like, how can we, you know, preserve revenue? How can we, you know, find opportunities where people are wanting to spend? And, you know, even now that's got me as an evangelist thinking about, 
how do I take those those things that I'm doing that are often uh, above the funnel, if you will, right? To use all of the insider language, how do I take those same things and connect those two opportunities? And being able to show, hey, this very specific activity, maybe it was a, a training session that I delivered, maybe it was a piece of content that we were able to use in demand generation efforts. It's thinking about those things through the lens of are we showing that they're they're driving real progress for the business because views. Uh, you know, people resharing, like all of that great vanity stuff, but, but I need to understand how it actually impacts revenue. If I want to know that I have, you know, the opportunity to continue to, to serve a business. Love it. So, uh, I've done a number of those activities just in the past week, let's say. So, uh, one of our CSMs engaged me and I did a presentation for, um, a team account. It's pretty good. Like ARR for us, like it's above average, um, so like nice size team, they're really excited about it. They listen to the other podcasts that I host. And so, um, like, 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 let's create some energy and some, provide some additional training besides the, you know, what buttons do we click and how do we do these things? Um, you know, kind of a little bit, um, again, higher, higher level, I guess, I don't know, that's a fair term. That's why I struggled to, to say it, but you know, a different type of training than is provided, um, as a matter of course. Um, I also have been working on a massive deal that's in the pipeline right now, working with a, a small cross-functional team um, and have a you know a specific role in that. Um, I've provided content or re-provided, redirected, repositioned content for people um, that are trying to again move an opportunity through the pipeline. And I and I offer that to say, a, I see it the way you do, but I what I personally struggle with is what do I actually document? And from your experience, share as much as you can or want to about, about closing this gap for me and for other people that probably struggle like I do, which is how do I show, like, what am I documenting? Where am I marking it? How am I collecting some of the evidence that the work that I'm doing, besides, you know, that CSM would say, yeah, Ethan, he's great. He's super helpful to me. A couple Our AEs, yeah, super great. He's super helpful to me. Um, Besides that kind of evidence, anecdotal evidence, how do you organize, collect, um, even tally the impact of the of the work? Yeah, um, I, I I think about it again through kind of a, a number of different buckets, and and I share with you. So so when I first come to you get UJet, there were a couple different teams that were under my purview, which included customer, product marketing, you know, ARPR efforts, things that you would expect along that front, and. And we've since refined that, that it's really focused around corporate communications and uh, ARPR and you know, what we're doing around research and momentum building, things like that. Um, when I think now, moving those other things aside, what, what are the ways that we're, we're tracking that type of impact? In terms of, uh, again, I go back to what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Whenever, whenever I'm putting any metrics into place, I'm, I'm trying to understand like, what is the what is the problem that we're trying to solve or the the proof points that we're wanting to build for the business? So if if one of the proof points is validation, which for you know UJet, uh, that's one of the points for us is you know relatively uh, you know seven year old business is how do we make sure that we continue to de-risk and validate who we are? And part of how I can do that is through relationships that we build with press or awards or uh, members of the analyst community. And part of like that's built through these activities of sharing stories with them in terms of like helping them understand how we're connecting real problems to, you know, the solutions that we're providing. I think part of it's 
that being really clear on, Hey, we're trying to drive this objective. And for us, that is, you know, number of, uh, inclusions in, in media coverage at different tiers. And, uh, the gentleman that, that, you know, leads, um, our AR and PR team, like has done a great job in terms of quantifying essentially points saying based off of tiers of coverage of media or the analyst community, what does that, what does that potentially mean for us? So I think part one is that it's not just a matter of, Hey, we did all these activities, which I think is problematic for a lot of, it's again, not just an evangelist problem. It's like, Often our metrics are activity-based, not impact-based. So one of the things is I focus not on the activity, but what's the impact? The activity matters in terms of, I think it's going to be predictive of a good outcome. And so I still measure those things, right? But it's really about impact. When I think about um, maybe closer alignment to revenue, I'll give an example of something I did recently. Uh, myself and one of our solutions consultants did uh, a webinar for our existing customers that was talking about some of our capabilities that we know they're not leveraging today that could have incredible value. My role in that was, look, I'm gonna to talk to you from the perspective when I was running customer experience teams, how are we thinking about this problem? What have I seen as a researcher in that time that are still some of the, the barriers and the tension points? And start to evoke all of the emotion inside of them that I know these are real problems. These are real gaps for their business and maybe they've they've been numbed to it. And how do I how do I start to re-evoke that? So then our solutions consultant can come in and talk about it. That's not just the activity, but that's after the fact, having you know one of our customer success leaders say, hey, by the way, great job. And I've already had somebody reach out who wants to take a deeper dive. Right now, that's the type of attribution that's in this case was recognized in a public forum. But as that moves along, our bet will be if we do more of those things we hopefully see those types of outcomes increase. So that, that to me is, it can show up in a lot of ways, but it, it's really about being crystal clear on what's the impact the business is trying to drive and how do I measure that in a way that's not activities, but is, is clear on the impact. Really good. I especially appreciate your use of the word numbness. I think so much of um, the approach of some of this work is around awareness. Like people just don't know. Well, people might know, they just don't care. They don't have any context, maybe. They don't recognize that it should be a higher priority or could be a higher priority. They maybe don't recognize the potential and the opportunity um, or the actual pain that's being caused. Like this, this, this numbness is a thing. And that's why I really appreciate this. Um, this excitability isn't superficial. I think I now link it in my mind to like shaking and breaking that numbness and becoming aware yeah. and open insensitive to the incredible opportunity or the actual real costs and feeling and dwelling in that pain a little bit. Um, not that we're grinding people in it, but we're just opening them up to the reality of the situation. I also appreciate something you've said a couple of times now, which is essentially, I've been in your seat. I've seen this problem. I felt this problem. I've measured this problem. I've tried to solve the problem and failed. I've tried to solve the problem and succeeded. Let's talk about that. Does any of that relate to you? And bringing people out of that numbness through that um, shared experience. Yeah. Well, it's so to me, the part of how that shift formed is I, I had a sales leader uh, a number of years ago and, and I was, look, I, for a long time, the idea of being a salesperson, uh, like that's it's just like, that, no, I'm not like, I will not, somebody else is going to be the heavy Right. I'm the, I'm, I'm the ally. Right. 
But I wanted to to learn and understand from our sales leaders, like what were the challenges? Again, trying to to tie myself revenue. And one sales leader said, "Look, what's 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 harming our opportunity to to drive revenue is the status quo. We're not losing deals to competitors. Most often, we're losing deals because they're they're just going to stick with what they know. And that to me became this this focus on how do I move people out of a place of complacency." And understanding what's driving complacency. Um, so, so yeah, when I when I talk about numbness, to me it's numbness, complacency. Like these are the things that every day our businesses are seeing deals stall out or lost, and we're not able to drive change. And it is figuring out how do we break people out of that cycle. Really good. It reminds me of a, a fantastic book that I read recently, The Jolt Effect, co-authored by Matt Dixon yeah. of uh, Challenger Sale and Challenger Customer and The Effortless Experience. All really good reads, uh, but Jolt Effect really gets into this thing that you experienced. Um, walk us into, take us back to CX Effect. You you already gave a little bit of color on, on your um, professional background, but talk about this move into evangelism, like the chief evangelist role in particular. What was going on at CX Effect at the time? What was going on for you? What was going on in the market for their services? Like, why was evangelism a fit for them and why were you a fit for that? For that chief evangelist role, yeah. So the the founder of CX Effect, um, the uh, fair portion of his career was um, working in uh, kind of technology resellers. At a time, they were like considered master agencies or technology brokerages, things like that. And he he incidentally, I had actually worked with his daughter at another company, and she's like, "Hey, I feel like you and my dad are kind of cut from the same cloth. You two should should spend some time together." And when I had some of the initial conversations with him, he was talking about all these observations of what he saw was broken and how people are thinking about technology and how people are procuring technology, even in how technology companies are often going to market. And he had this idea to build something differently for uh, really individuals who often have uh, independent consulting practices. And part of how they make their revenue is through referrals on, on technology. And what his observation was is, hey, you've got a lot of people who their background is selling uh, internet or it's selling switches or you know whatever it was. And now they're hearing that customer experience technology is like the new kid on the block, but they often don't really know what they're talking about. They're not actually providing meaningful value. So uh, Andrew's vision for that was, you know, Part of the the model would stay the the same in terms of like people are making money by by making referrals technology. But what if we could, what if we could elevate the intellect? That was that was really the charge that I got excited about. What does it mean to elevate the intellect of the channel? Is you know what it's often known as. My background as a trainer, as a consultant, as someone who had done a number of advising for technology companies said, look, if if what you're looking for is someone to kind of pull together. You talked about this idea of community and I think about gravitational pull and what are the watering holes where people go to find real value. I said like, I would love to help create that. I've, I've done it for a number of, you know, businesses before, like let's, let's do this thing. And, you know, it was what, you know, as startups are like all the titles are inflated. It's like, as it, is it a chief marketing role? Is it, you know, whatever. And I, I said like, no, like for me, it really is about how do we bring this idea to critical mass where, you know, what I'm being measured on yeah, part of it is marketing and building awareness, but a bigger part of it is helping people be more successful 
in their conversations and helping people discover again the potential there. Um, so that's that's what got me excited. It was this opportunity to to kind of take my my trainer hat, my consultant hat, this marketer hat, merge them all together for the first time, and you know, see what happens when you create something from zero. Um, so that was that was that got me really really excited there. Love it. Young company. Uh, do you have any direct, like, do you have direct reports now? Did you have direct reports then? Like a characteristic I've seen across the chief evangelist role um, is typically that they're, uh, I, the, the language I've used for it is, um, you know, a free agent within the organization in support of, a, of different people have different approaches. One of the reasons I love these conversations um, and, and I started the podcast in the first place is to explore all the different ways people are thinking about it and approaching it. Um, but but how did that go for you? Like structurally, um, how was that at CX Effect and how is that at UJet now? Yeah. So uh, when I started at CX Effect, uh, I was kind of the sole person in that role. Uh, I eventually brought one person in and uh, kind of the story there is it's, you know, someone that I have kind of a deep history with. Uh, you talked about my... Uh, my my little avatar there. He's actually the 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 guy who created for that for me a number of years ago. And part of what what uh, I started with him is as a consultant for not just visual identity, but to me, I am a big fan of branding. And it's I've I've talked to people who are really really credible, but then when I start to look at whether it's their books or their websites or all these things, essentially it's like that. I don't know. There's there's this weird whistle. Anyway, so for me. Like that was an intentional hire and it was really about branding where if I'm creating a book or a guide, I have a very specific vision for what that would look like. And I had the opportunity to bring him in full time. So that that was kind of my sole hire there. Um, what was different about UJet? So uh, UJet actually started, uh, the initial conversation with UJet was actually as a consulting client. So was going to be doing some fractional, you know, kind of work for them on on some initiatives. And uh, the CMO I've known for, you know, a number of years and we, we start talking and get excited about this idea. And, you know, I, I remember the one call we were on and he's like, he's like, I really like, I'd love if you could kind of lead corporate communications and evangelism for us. Um, and, and part of it is, you know, helping to tell the story and get people excited. Uh, when I came on, kind of a number of things have happened. And so, so I had a number of direct reports. Uh, I had, you know, the people on the product marketing team, I had a customer marketer, I had kind of a, you know, somebody who's run the blog and, and um, things like that, uh, plus, plus corporate communications. And in the season, it was, um, you know, is what we needed to do, but very quickly realized like when you're, when you're managing a team of, you know, whether it's three, five, six, I've had 12, whatever, it's like, you're spending most of your time managing and supporting that team and not really doing work. So it's like, I would go and I would speak at conferences or I would write a little bit if I had the opportunity, but there were all of these things on the someday list that that just weren't happening. Um, so that was actually a transition that as we went into the, the December of last year and now going into this year is really enabling um, myself and, and just the one gentleman I have on my team now to focus on those things around AR, PR, and you know, research and momentum building activities. Very good. Um, first of all, I really appreciate the uh, the use of the word seasons. I found my work to be very seasonal, like the demands of the market, the demands of the organization, the context of all of it, um, even the shape of the team. Right? If um, 
you know, for me, if someone leaves, I, I report into marketing, I report to our CMO as well. And, uh, you know, if someone leaves the team um, and we have a period where we don't fill that position, um, you know, that changes the shape of everything. And I might be the right person to kind of plug it and, and do the, so there's, so it really is kind of a, a seasonal thing. Also too, like writing books, that's a season, you know, like you withdraw very much to do the research and the writing and all of that, and then to develop the launch plan, and everything. Um, you talked about brand and visual identity. I also, A, enjoy it just as an observer and a student a little bit. Um, I also appreciate how important it is to have some tightness there. Um, tie a few things together. And I, I, I'm going to start kind of, I guess, conceptually or vaguely. Um, but what is the relationship in your mind between brand and customer experience? Um, and where does evangelism fit in? Typically, when I think about, um, you know, and I'll just give you my 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 take on this a little bit, just to give you something to react to and maybe like, punch up or, or, or plus up, you know, as appropriate for your, for your own ex, uh, experience and perspective, but, you know, brand uh, and customer experience to me share this, this idea of, you know, how do people feel about you? How do people think about you? What do people say about you, especially when you're not in the room? Uh, and I think the experience leaves an emotional resonance that is kind of captured as brand or something like, I know I'm talking like again, kind of vaguely, um, and evangelism can shape that in a lot of ways because there's something powerful about human expression and human to human interaction, um, beyond a blog post, but it's the reason you do webinars. It's the reason you get on a stage. It's not just because there's a different audience or a bigger audience or that kind of a thing. It's that the transmission of ideas, belief, enthusiasm, expertise, concern, empathy, and all this like human richness that can't be delivered through, you know, typed out text um, is delivered that way. So I think evangelism can have a big impact there, but how do you, how do you think about brand relative to customer experience and how does evangelism kind of uh, shape either or both of those? Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelist, let's get back to it. Yeah. Um, so it's a couple things I'll kind of break down there. I, the definition of customer experience uh, that I love comes from Annette Franz. She's the, the former national president of CXPA. And it's that customer experience is the sum of all interactions uh, a customer has with a brand and how they feel about those interactions. So when I think about the sum of all those things, I mean, that's everything from how they look at your website or mobile app to the conversation, right? All, all of those things. And then you mentioned the emotional part already. Why, why does it matter to me? And how do I see the connection there? I, I, I don't believe I know that uh, all of us are always processing these questions about everything we interact with in terms of like, is this credible? Is it trustworthy? Is it valuable to me, right? These are things that all of us in every interaction, doesn't matter what we're doing, that's clicking through our head. 
And so when I think about the work that I'm doing as an evangelist, when I think about the work I'm doing, whether I, I was leading a customer experience team or helping someone on a customer experience team, or even when I look at the, the, the ebook that we're about to put on, I'm asking like, step away from it, or I'm pulling other people. And like, if you look at this, like, do you feel that this came from a credible source? As you start to ask questions about the statistic that was quoted, like, is that, is that believable? Did, did they, for one moment, actually check the source before they put it on their website, right? Is this someone that when I hear them, I like, they're not faking this. They're not going through the motions. This is, this is real life for them. All of those things, I think, manifest in a lot of ways. And it's not, it's just through evangelism work. It's how we, we not just create a brand's identity, but all of the decisions that we make, right? Because it all adds up to customer experience at the end of the day, which is why I think this work is awesome and ever-changing. Um, so all those things matter. And I think it comes down to, to credibility, to uh, believability, to uh, likability, to uh, usefulness. Th those are the things that I think that's the connective tissue. So good. And, and, the, and to me, what I heard in there relative to like visual identity, it really is this kind of, it could, because the way you introduced it in this conversation was around like a lack of consistency, right? It's presented one way and then you go to the website and there's like a disconnect or something. So that consistency also then plays into this credibility and trust layer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Super. How do you, so, so we've heard um, analyst relations, public relations, um, publishing, speaking, just talk a little bit um, more explicitly and very directly to this external versus internal orientation. Different people have a different balance. I feel like your your focus uh, is very much external um, and, and interacting with the market and stakeholders uh, in the market at large, including prospects and customers. But um, how much of your time and attention or work is oriented internally toward the salespeople themselves or the CSMs themselves or other, other internal stakeholders? Yeah, I, I would say um, in the, in the kind of the current environment that, that we're, I mean, we're all operating in right now, I am investing a ton of my time internally. And I, there was, there was someone I, I had the opportunity to work with at an organization and, and they, they talked about their objectives through how do we make sure that we win the home game and that we win the away game. And the home game, they would talk about what's what's going on. Uh, you know, it's the website, it's the own properties, it's our approach to sales. And the away game stuff is like, that's what, you know, people like you and I, and like that's the, that's the, hey, we get to go speak and do all these things. Other places are right to these, um, you know, publications. Uh, right now, I think, I think the internal piece um, for a lot of businesses is where a lot of focus needs to happen. Um if your brand is focused on building awareness or on acquiring new customers, awesome. I think that the natural kind of move in recessionary markets is how do we how do we protect what we have? How do we make sure that we grow? And when we do have opportunities, that we're more successful in those opportunities. Um, so I would say that a majority of my time right now is focused inward. And the external stuff for this year is going to be faced around proprietary research and content based off of those things that, as you and I know, those will help on the awareness and media pickup and intrigue. Uh, but they also meaningful, they're, they're meaningful, you know, deliverables for our internal resources who need to understand how do they better identify problems and, and identify if we've got the opportunity to overcome those. 
Love it. What are some of the um, like tactical, practical, how are you getting in front of people internally to engage them, educate them, et cetera? Is it, are you inviting yourself into team standups? Are you doing like biweekly or monthly, like lunch and learn zoom meetings? Like, like what, what is it? What is it like uh, functionally? How are you? Uh, and how large is the organization? I'm um, kind of close. Some of those from a tactical, practical perspective. Yeah. So you, it's about 200 people. Okay. Um, and, and probably remote distributed. Yeah, I mean, we've got a number of people in um, California, Texas, and of course, you know, a few countries uh, across the globe, but um, most of it's concentrated in the the U.S. Um, So this has been a very intentional alignment with our marketing leadership, with our sales leaders um, to to focus on some clear practices. You know, we went as an organization uh, last year and and most of the go-to-market team went through uh, medic training, which is, yeah, if you're familiar with medic, um, was about qualify, you know, the qualification process. Um, right now, a number of us are going through uh, gap selling. Again, understanding how do we recognize problems and address those. And how that has shown up is weekly sessions that are happening with really the entirety of the go-to-market teams. You've got sales, you've got customer success, you've got marketing. And sometimes it's talking about, hey, here's here's new enablement material that that we've got out there. Hey, here's new research and what it means and how you talk to it. Uh, you know, in the case of uh, yesterday, I mentioned you know, that was you know, something that we were doing to to work with our install base. But it is it is weekly kind of carved out time in front of them um, where we're covering a number of different things. And you know, for me, it's maybe once or twice a month. I'm I'm actually speaking on that, but. Otherwise, it's working closely with our sales development leader. It's working closely with um, our customer success team. All, all of those individuals, I think it's a daily interactions in, in some way, shape, or form. Really good. I love that learning and teaching aspect of the work myself. I, like, it's it's a joy. Like, I I, I can remember uh, reading a book that I thought was super relevant to a conversation I knew was going on in the CS org at the time, um, and putting together kind of a, a one off on it, but we got to kind of dwell on these topics a little bit. And, you know, some people pick up on it and run and read the book and, you know, continue to talk about it. And other people are like, oh, that was really interesting and helpful. Um, when people, and I'm sure this has happened to you, so feel free to tell a story or or quantify this or or validate my, my assumption. Uh, you know, I would assume that um, a founder or a leader or an executive has come to you and said, Hey, Justin, like this evangelist thing, do I need this? How should I think about this? When, why, how, who, um, a, has that happened And B, um, what, what do you share around that? Like, how should someone be, how should a, a founder or a leader or executive say, can I afford someone in this position? Should I put someone in this position? Like, what are some of the characteristics that would lead you to an affirmative, uh, suggestion? Yeah. Um, this is, this is so interesting to me because I've, you know, I've talked to, uh, executives who are like, we're not, we're not at the phase of needing an evangelist yet. Um, and in the case of CX effect, I, I was the very first hire, uh, for the company. Right. And then we started hiring salespeople, which, you know, that, that's, I think it depends on the nature of your founder too, right? We need a sales oriented founder versus, you know, developer or who, you know, whatever with companies. Um, Look, I I go. Um, I ask before I just give an answer. I'm always asking questions, and when they when they kind of approach me like, "Hey, tell me about like evangelism work. Like, is this something I should be doing?" I'm I I want like, what are you trying to achieve? 
Like if, if you know that you've got uh, validation on the solution that you're bringing to market and you're just trying to, to get people to know about it, well, let's talk about what that might mean from an awareness standpoint. And I, and I, I do think... Uh, I do think it's important to have a separation between who's doing your evangelism work and who's like really running your sales and business development process. Um, but I think there's a really key relationship there uh, because when I think about what is the opportunity for that founder, I I, I do think there's there's a lot of um, gosh, I, Ethan. There's so many places I can go with this one. Um, okay, but fundamentally, fundamentally, the advice I typically do is this if if you are focused on um building awareness if you are focused on um or struggling with uh, a credible message if you really want to get to the root of helping people understand their problems and how you might be able to solve that problem i do think the right evangelist might be there for you um but i think it it requires a savvy evangelist and there are a lot of, and this is where I think it gets clouded and, and again, lots of roles can be like this, but I know there, there are a lot of really great evangelists that they are great because they have the script, they have the presentation, they have what they need and they're great performers in front of people, but they're not necessarily able to drive business strategy, not right, wrong, or indifferent, but I think you've got to find the right type of evangelist for the right type of company. And maybe they're great at writing books and they're great at giving speeches. Um, I think that's good if you need a, a the right type of like um, spokesperson for your brand. And that's when I, when I, you know, talk to executives who are like, we're not ready for an evangelist yet. They're often thinking that an evangelist is just some type of like uh, another variety of spokesperson. And maybe they're thinking, hey, oh, our executive is there. I mean, they're our primary spokesperson right now. Or, hey, I really like being the spokesperson for the brand, whether I'm in it or not. Those are often the things that I think come about. Um, yeah. I, I, and so just go one layer deeper there or or restate something you, you may have shared that I missed. Like, what is the line between a spokesperson uh, and and evangelist at a, at a, at a more, I hate to use this word because it makes spokespeople, which we need. It's a little bit pejorative that way. And I actually do fit that mold a little bit myself. Um, uh, something deeper, yeah. like what's that, what's the, like, if we're moving beyond spokesperson in an evangelist now, now, and we can also bridge this a little bit too. We can advance this conversation a little bit with, um, you know, so what are some of the characteristics of this person who is not just taking the pieces and saying them in front of different audiences in a kind of a spokesperson way? I mean, um, I guess double back into this driving business outcomes, yeah. I think was the was part of the line that you drew. Yeah. Um, when I when I think about what spokespeople do is spokespeople deliver a message. That's it. That's that's the job is just to to share something. When I think about what is an evangelist in their their greatest form doing is they are they are cultivating a movement. And that I think is there's there's spokespersony stuff to be doing in that, but they're they're being a student of whatever space they're serving. And if it doesn't mean conducting research, 
they're studying the research that's coming out. If it doesn't mean, you know, sitting on sales calls, it means listening to them. I think the the evangelist is the person who's getting the heartbeat, not of just what's happening in that business, but in the the larger environment that that business is serving. And they're forming ideas and beliefs and advising both the organization as well as existing and prospective customers on how what's happening right now, the impact of that in the future. And they're they're beginning to make that tangible. So to me, it's it's incredibly strategic. Uh and it's you you've got to be relational, you've got to be curious, and I think you have to be compelling. Yeah, and I think the um the enthusiasm, the passion that's required to to conduct or study the research, to get on the sales calls, to do the advice. Like I think that all really comes together. I really appreciate the way you articulated that. And I'm glad I kind of pressed into it a little bit more because I love exactly where you landed there. Um it really is a movement. I think, what, what do you think about this? Uh, just kind of doubling back into where we were over the last kind of couple uh, back and forth uh, passes there. Um, this movement thing, there are markets that don't need the movement because the movement is already happening. And maybe there is some further evolution that needs to take place. Or now we're moving into like a, a, a subversion or a new subcategory within this broader category. So where I am, video email and video messaging um, I've been at BombBomb for over 11 years. Company was legally founded in 06. When like go to market 2010, 2011, no one knew what video email was. The email marketing community at the time rejected it. Like that's not real video email uh, for technical reasons. And everyone was thinking about video at the time as, as YouTube really. I mean, most of the social platforms didn't even have like native video features right. at that point. And so this thing had to happen and we had very few competitors. And what I observe now um, is that about five years into my, I joined the company full-time in 2011, about five years into it, most of our earlier com early competitors were dead or irrelevant. A couple of them lived and moved into new forms like private equity and, and stuff. Um, and then we have this, you know, about five to six years ago, we had this kind of movement of newer competitors. So the pace, the space, and I feel like we played an important role in that validated the space enough that VC poured in. I'm thinking of two competitors in particular, one that's about eight years old and one that's younger sitting on tens of millions. The other one on hundreds of millions of dollars of VC raised incredible valuations, which of course is slightly problematic in today's environment. Um, but you know, I, I think this movement, it, it's still super, super young. And I think a lot of spaces are. Um, so there's a movement that still needs to have like video messaging could die, right? It's one of the reasons that I did a self episode on the customer experience podcast of the problem with video prospecting, yeah. right? It teaches people receiving it that video email is really just a crappy new way to do the same crappy prospecting. <laughs> if we don't broaden the conversation and the use cases and the execution. So like, I obviously am like super excited about this. Yeah. So I'm injecting it in this conversation, but what do you think about the state of, do, do what do you observe that, um, that, that part of your kind of, you know, I could go lots of directions with this and kind of like the, um, any tentative, uh, approach to a definitive answer is tempered a little bit by some of these market conditions and evolution of the market and evolution of the space. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to look at the first half of that where you started. Um, 
you know, what about places where there's not the innovation and there's not the change, maybe at the pace is like, do you still need an evangelist? And what I, what I loved Ethan that you talked about was the, the clear evolution in not just how the, the things outside of your solution were changing, but being able to see how do we play a role in shaping what that new, new future looks like. And so if I think about, uh, whether it's technologies or other things that are not necessarily on the cusp of innovation anymore, and you know, they're well-saturated and well-known, um, I think the role of the evangelist shifts become of how do you, how do you prevent that inevitable death and irrelevance from happening? Um, so I, I don't think it's as much about raising awareness, but thinking about a new way and exploring the potential. And sometimes, sometimes that might be a matter of adjacencies. And I think about, um, this is totally, this is terrible idea that just came to my head. Um, but, but I think about if I was blockbuster and, you know, I had someone who their job was to, to think about and build the idea of, you know, the new wave and, and getting people excited about it and sharing what it means to not rent movies from a brick and mortar location, but to have an app installed on your device. Um, what would that mean? And maybe that's, but that, that to me is like, potentially, you know, you, you've got, you've got the ability. If you're a good evangelist, you should, you should just be about raising awareness for what's happening right now, but you should be in part thinking about what's ahead and how that might shape and inform things. Really good. What do you think is the future of very specifically the future of the chief evangelist role? Um, how will it change and, or does it have a long-term future? I think we're at this we're at the zone where a lot of people are experimenting with it. You've seen, and you've mentioned people using the word evangelism and evangelist partly out of ignorance. Um, that certainly still has an effect on what the title itself means. Yeah. Um, even if it's kind of unfair a little bit, I think it's like the misuse of technology or something potentially too, is like, it's still real and it's still part of how people will start to perceive it. Um, Thoughts on thoughts on the the title chief evangelist and the role chief evangelist and what its future is over the next whatever period of time you want to put it into. Yeah, um, I, I uh, so this is here's this actually something that's that's kept me up at night lately. Ethan, you know, I look at what's happening with um, kind of some of the the new AI writing solutions that are out there. What do you think about? chat, you know, GBT or, or Jasper or, or some of these things. And I see lots of people getting really excited about how this can create content for them. Uh, and, and I look at even for myself, like, oh, there could be interesting things there, but what are all the, the things that that can't do? And we are already uh, super saturated with content uh, that's out there. And I think this is only going to create even more of a mess, frankly. So if I were thinking about how, how would uh, businesses differentiate, I think part of that can happen in the role of the chief evangelist and really looking at what's happening there. So I think the implications on this are, and, and part of this is my own bias and the own, own, like my own things that I've worked on, but I think there are implications on how we look at our, our content strategies. I think that there are implications that we look at how we do events. Um, so I think there's deep 
uh, inroads and potential, you know, impact for for parts of marketing to, you know, at the very least have things that are informed by what's, you know, happening within the the chief strategists kind of purview. And I've seen again myself, you know, part of my chief evangelist role, like I, all of marketing was, uh, you know, my responsibility uh, at, at at one point. Um, you know, in another, I've seen people who run customer success teams. You know, that's they're they're really the evangelist. I've seen somebody who's uh, the chief customer officer, and they're also really chief evangelist. I I believe the long the long tail of this is it's probably in most organizations not going to be one individual who they're just an evangelist and that's all they do. I think for most businesses, you're, there's going to be some level of responsibility, whether it's in marketing or customer success um, or, or even operations, and then a focus on chief evangelist. I think for the brands that are able to do it successfully and have an, an individual chief evangelist, they're ones that are probably driving original research. Uh, they're probably, you know, again, heavily involved in having somebody who's out and about um, as that kind of spokesperson plus. Really good. I, I, I'm with you on all of that. I especially appreciate the, um, the observation about differentiation in the face of ever increasing kind of noise, uh, you know, being like the more stuff we can make faster, just, just the more noise. And, Correct. and in light of that, how do I build a connection? Uh, how do I vet some of this, I mean, of course, we're still early in this kind of AI piece, and we've seen some laughably inaccurate uh, information come out of them, but it's put forward in such as this flat way. It's like, do I believe this? And, and so much of that, and you spoke about this throughout our conversations, like that the the credibility piece is in the way that the information is delivered. And the human aspect of that um, can play a big role. So I can see it being very differentiating as well. And I also agree, and I've heard this from a number of people that I've asked that similar question to, uh, because I've observed what you have, is that the evangelist doesn't necessarily have the title, and they might not be in a a marketing role. I think it's often associated that way. Um, and you've, already, you've also done a fantastic job of articulating the way it supports sales as well, really directly. Um Fun question for you, Justin, before I let you go and bid you a fantastic uh, weekend coming up here as we're recording this. Uh, what's something that you have found yourself evangelizing in your own personal life or perhaps that someone has accused you of evangelizing in your own life? Product, service, uh, idea, anything. So my, uh, my gosh, my, my big passion is uh, competitive barbecue. I'm actually a Love certified it. competitive barbecue judge. And, uh, I, I, that is probably, it's, I actually actively find ways to bring what I've learned from doing competitive barbecue into, you know, what I do in business. Um, that, that is, that's probably, uh, the thing that I most often get, like people feel like I'm trying to sell. It's, it's, it's also, uh, I'll get, if somebody owns a Traeger, which no, no offense, Ethan, if you happen to own a Traeger grill. But it's almost like people worry that I have like judgy uh, feelings towards them if they're not using like a stick charcoal burning thing. Um, so I've recognized through that, like I tend to, I tend to talk a lot about barbecue and doing barbecue well and like how exciting and what it means for people to like the bonding experience that can happen between a parent and child next to the pit. Uh, that's, that's probably, probably it for me. 
Love it. It's such a fun answer. Um, one quick follow-up uh, for the ignorant among us. That's me. Um, is there really a deep uh, regional tradition? For example, when I think barbecue, I think for some reason, and I could be totally wrong on this, Kansas City, Texas, like t- are, are there pockets? And do you travel for this? Uh, yes, there are pockets. And yes, I'll travel for it. It's uh, I, I, um, I'm going to say this on your podcast, Ethan, it's always going to take my idea and look, so all I promise, I just, I just give me credit at one point, but one of the things that I love is how cooking with smoke and fire, it's not just a American, this is a global thing. And there's all sorts of whole regional traditions around how people cook. My when when Justin is retired and trying to figure out what to do, I I had this idea for what if what if I had the vagabond smokehouse and what it is is it's celebrating cooking with or and sometimes you know not even just smoking cheeses or whatever like with this tradition of smoke and fire uh, from all around the world. So yeah, and different regions have you know different specialties. Like so, I'm in I'm in Eastern North Carolina, and you know the thing here is whole hog, and if you go to a true Eastern North Carolina place. It's going to be a whole hog cooked on a spit served with the vinegar based sauce. Uh, you know, you go to Alabama and their sauce has like white with mayonnaise and I don't know what's going on down there, but you know, apparently it's good on chicken. Um, so, so yes, there are all sorts of cool subcultures and, uh, it's just fun to me. It's, it, it's, it's about, uh, it's about community. Uh, it's about bringing people together. And, um, you know, I, I personally like, to me, I think relationships are best built over a shared meal. Um, and so for us, that's that's just kind of personally my my you know, my wife and we have our kids, it's like that's that's how we build relationship is is over barbecue. So fun. I I'm glad I asked the follow-up because I really unlocked the passion on it. It's awesome. Um, I, I've really, really enjoyed this. And for other people who have Justin, where would you send them to connect with you, learn more about you? Yeah, cool. Uh I'm on uh if you go anywhere at Justin M Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, I'm I'm at all those. Uh, you can also email me Justin at JustinMRobbins.com. Awesome. I will uh, link all that stuff up. So uh, to the listeners, wherever you're watching or listening, there are links to connect with Justin immediately adjacent to the play button somewhere. Uh, I appreciate you so much, Justin. This was super fun and I love your perspective on it and I share your vision for the future. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ethan. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.